So for these last few weeks, we've been studying Acts and the outreach of the early church. The ways the church was involved in spreading this good news, this, this amazing news of who Jesus is and what he's done in history. I've been thinking about this as these last few weeks, you know, two weeks ago, or actually last Sunday we had our Kids Camp Sunday, this opportunity where we invite kids from our community to come, to have a great time, but also to learn about Jesus, to learn about God and what he's done. Next week, we're going out to our community again, meeting in the park, to worship God and to invite our friends. We have this opportunity as a church to keep telling people about this Jesus, about this God that we follow. It's interesting, I think about Paul and him as he was in Athens, waiting for, to meet with his, with his friends there. It says he went to the synagogue and to the marketplace and he would tell people about Jesus. And people would question him about it. And as he walked around, he saw the idols that people had. It says he was angry, he was, he was distressed by how many idols there were in this city. All the things that people worshipped and thought were important. So again, studying this passage, I began thinking about how, as people, we get misled. I think about people in our community and the ways that they are misled. The things that they're led to believe about salvation, about faith, about who Jesus is, about sin and grace. You see, when Paul, when he was talking with the people of Athens, he comes to them and they had all these idols. And Paul said to them, I see that you're very religious, with his tongue in his cheek. In the Greek, there's actually a double meaning here. It means religious or superstitious. I hear Paul kind of getting more at the superstitious part. I see how superstitious you are. You have all these idols, and you even have idols that you don't even have names for. You're trying to cover all your bases. It's easy just to have a little wooden statue somewhere to cover that base, and another gold statue there to cover that base. You see, he looked around, and he saw all these idols. And he was, he was upset by it. He said, look, you've, you've been misled. You even have a, an idol here to a God you don't, don't, don't know. Well, let me explain to you. Let me proclaim this God that you don't know. Let me tell you about him. See, as I've spent now a few years here in the Kootenays, I see that like everywhere else, people have been misled. Even here, people have been misled. As I talk with people and their ideas of faith and church Oftentimes I'll pick someone up and uh, going into town or something or just at someone's place or at a party or something and I'll let them know I'm a pastor and then opens a great opportunity and the, usually the first question is, is, so what does a pastor do all week? And then <laughs> <laughs> but then I also get to talk with them about faith and about Christ. And It's interesting as I talk with people, they have lots of different views of church, but one of the more common ones I hear is that, oh yeah, I, I don't go to church, I not really into the institutional thing. And, you know, I just try to be a good person. I try to be a good person. I believe good people go to heaven. And I think that they've been misled. Because oftentimes what I think when I, as they start explaining it, what they mean is I, I'm a good person. You know, I, I pay my taxes. I, I don't break any laws. When I see someone, you know, on the corner, I drop a few coins in their, in their bucket there. I'm a good person. Sometimes it gets equated with, I'm, I'm a good citizen. And almost as if heaven is sort of like this supernatural retirement that everyone's entitled to. If you just be a good person, if you just keep your nose clean. But as I think about it, as I ask them too, I even understand or begin to see that even their idea of heaven 
is somewhat different than the biblical idea of heaven. Their idea of heaven is just paradise, this self-indulgent, this supernatural resort, vacation resort when you die. Did you get to just sit around in the pool and drink drinks for eternity? They have the wrong idea. They've been misled. Because people talk about it, they don't even think about God being there. It doesn't even matter to them if Christ were there and they were able to worship Him as long as they had eternal vacation. See, they've been misled. They don't understand that heaven, it's not just about us. It's going to be an amazing place. An amazing place where Christ dwells with us, where God dwells with us. That's why heaven is so amazing. But see, they've been deluded. They delude themselves even. As I hear people talk about it, trying to almost as if convince themselves that if they just really, 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 really believe it, then it'll be true. It's interesting. I, I see it sometimes when, when people come from the community to talk about struggles in their life. Maybe someone they care about has died and you know, I've, I've never even met them until the, their family member comes for a funeral. And they so desperately want to believe. They so desperately want to believe that everything's just going to be fine. Now, I'm careful. That's often not the place <laughs> to talk with them honestly about heaven and salvation in terms of who's in and who's out, blah, blah, blah. But it is interesting to me how people expect that they were just good people, that that's how heaven works. As Susan read today from John, that even Jesus said, none come to me, excuse me, none come to the Father except through me. That it's through Christ that we are saved. It's through Jesus. Not by how good of a citizen we are, because I, I can promise you this, no matter how good a citizen we are, we can never earn our place with God. God is holy, and we'll get to that in a moment. But being a good citizen does not make us holy. It might keep us out of trouble, but it doesn't make us holy. See, I'm reminded of this conversation I had with a friend of mine a while back. And we were talking about it, and the you know, same conversation came up, and, you know, how's church going, and, oh, you're the pastor. And so I was talking with them. I was talking with them about salvation. He goes, yeah, I don't, I don't really need to go. I mean, the only thing the pastor ever did was, pastor ever did was guilt trip me anyway, so I, just, I stopped going. And we started talking about sin and grace. He told me, he, told me, he said, I, I'm fine. I'm a good guy. I do good things. I don't need to go and have someone tell me how bad I am. That's true. Like I, I hope that's not what I do or what you think that I do. I'm not here to tell you how bad you are. I'm here to tell us how honest. I'm here to speak honestly with us and hold the truth in front of us that all of us are here because we are sinful people, myself included. That our sin runs deep. Our selfishness and our greed and our pride and our anger with people the stuff runs deep in us. I'm just here to be honest. Sometimes I think about my friend and we were talking about it and he, see the trouble is, he doesn't understand how deep his sin goes. He thinks of sin more in the sense of like the big stuff, like I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stole millions of dollars from someone. So in those terms, yeah, he's a great guy. But he's unwilling in fact, I would say he refuses to repent. Why do I need to repent? I don't need to repent of anything. I haven't done anything wrong. Yet I'm, I can guarantee you, 
just like any of us, if we started talking honestly about our relationships with people, about what we truly think deep down, yeah, there's sin in us. Sin is deep in us. I mean, how many of us here struggle with selfishness? <laughs> the world revolves around me, and I have to keep reminding myself that I don't. And thankfully, I have a great wife who helps me with that, too. <laughs> what about pride? Everything I have, I earned. This is all everything I have, I get to do whatever I want to with it because I earned it. How many of us wrestle with pride? Or nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. I don't need anybody's help. I wouldn't take anybody's help even if they offered it. It's pride. Puts us above others. Even sometimes puts us above God. Or what about apathy? This is one I struggle with, apathy. I think a lot of us struggle with apathy. We see the, the hurt and the pain of this world and we just say, I'm too busy. I just can't be bothered right now. I've got a lot of stuff going on this weekend. can't be bothered. Sin runs deep in us. The trouble is, some sins are socially acceptable. In our society, greed is acceptable. Greed is a part of our culture. It's part of the air we breathe. More and more for me and mine. It's socially acceptable. And so when the society begins to accept these things more and more, then people begin to think, you know, compared to everybody else, I'm about average. I think that's good enough for God, right? About average? With a society that makes all sorts of wrong choices? I was thinking about it. It's like garbage. In our place, we have garbage cans in the garage. And they stink. You know, sin is like this. Sin is like garbage. It stinks. Sometimes we can spray air freshener. We can take the can and empty the air freshener. Maybe it smells a little bit better for a while. But it's still garbage. Sin in our life, we can dress it up. We can try to explain it away. We can try to minimize it. But it's still garbage. It's still sinful. It's still selfishness and greed and apathy and pride. Even though we've learned how to control it and manipulate it so it's socially acceptable. It still stinks. The thing that I realized about my friend in my conversation with him and many conversations since is that until we realize the gravity of our sin, the depth of our brokenness, it is almost impossible to realize the miracle of grace. Listen to that again. Until we realize the depth of our sin, until we come to a new understanding of the depth of our sin, it is impossible to realize the miracle of grace. It's hard. I think about my friend. Like He thinks he's fine, so what does grace matter to him? Like, what has God done for him? In his mind, not much, because he's a pretty good guy already. Yeah, sure, Jesus had to die for all those other people, but I was pretty good, so you know, I don't really owe God anything. It's funny, I think about it in terms of like a life jacket. You know, if you throw a life jacket to someone in the pool, they might say, oh, great, thanks, you know, a place to rest my drink while I float here. You throw a life jacket to someone in 20-foot seas and they cling onto that thing for dear life. 
You see, sometimes we talk about grace with people, and it's like this life jacket. The people who think that they're just floating in the pool, they say, oh, that's good, you know, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, great, thanks, and they go on about their days. They don't realize that they are in 20-foot seas. They don't realize that this is the lifeline. This is what will keep them afloat. When everything else goes wrong, grace is what will save them. It's hard for people to realize this. It's hard even to explain it. As I think about the ways that I depend on grace. Because I know what I used to be like. Jerry and I were talking about this morning. He said, he used his words, I shudder to think where I would be if it weren't for Christ in my life. And I can say the same thing for me. How many of us can say this? See, we know these things. And it's hard to explain to someone who doesn't know any different. That grace is this lifeline that we've been given. And we who know, we grab onto it because we know our life depends on it. But others, nice place to put their drink for a while. See, the trouble is, people have been misled. They've been misled about sin and grace. They've been misled to understand who God is, who Jesus is, and what He's done. See, we need to come and to help them realize the truth. That's what God has called us to do in so many parts of our community here, to help them realize the truth. Not necessarily to set them straight, because that's a little different. Christians sometimes are known for, quote-unquote, setting people straight. Sometimes that's called for. There are some people that gets through to you, but I, I would say to you that most people, they don't need to be set straight. They need help realizing. We live in a society now where somebody tries to set you straight, you don't really want to listen anymore. But when someone wants to help you realize the truth, that's different. When it's a, con- when it's a conclusion you come to by God's Spirit, not because someone has finally beat you over the head enough times that you believe, but actually because God is at work in you and you believe yourself. That's different. That's powerful. We're called to help people realize the truth. You see, Paul walked through Athens as we were reading, as we heard earlier. He was walking through Athens and through the markets. And he saw all these idols. Some of them carved with stone, some of them cast in gold. But they were made by human hands. They were God as people thought God should be. I want a nice little wooden God so he's light to carry around. Small enough to fit in my pocket. Small enough to fit in my life. So I can do what I need to do. And when I really need God, I can pull him out. But otherwise, I can just put him in my pocket and go on about my business. Some of them wanted a gold God. I want a God that's fancy. I want a God that has lots of power. I want a God that, that, that shapes or that, that resembles my need to be fancy. My need to be wealthy. So people created these gods by their own hands. See, the scriptures tell us that God created us in, him, in His image. These were people who were creating God in their image. See, the thing is, we want a little idol. Truth be told, we want a God that, that fits into our life, that we can go on living the way we want to, and God can fit in. People want idols. They want little wooden dolls because wooden dolls don't ask you to change. They don't call you to something better even though it will be difficult to get there. We need to help people with this. We've been called as a church to help people with this. 
as soon as I think about it, is that people have the wrong idea about God's holiness. They don't understand what holiness means. They think, why can't God just loosen up a little bit? You know, all this talk about sin is such a drag. It's just hard to talk about it all the time. Why can't God just loosen up? Why can't He just make it a little bit easier? Just, you know, make it easy for everybody. Just let things slide. Think about that for a moment. Think about a God that was no longer holy. A God that no longer cared for justice. A God that no longer stood up for what was right. Just let things slide. That's easier for everybody. You know, don't, don't have the hard conversations. Just be easier for people. Imagine a God like that. Who would want to follow a God like that? A God who was corrupt. A God who let everything slide. That All he had to do was just have good intentions. Be a good person. See, the thing is, and praise God for this, that he is holy. I know we talk a lot about that God is love, that God loves us deeply. And that's true. I believe that with all of my heart. But I also am convinced that God is holy. God is completely righteous. That means there's not one moral blemish in God. There is no malice. There is no selfishness. There is no deceit in God. God is holy. Completely pure. Sin does not exist in Him. The things that we wrestle with as people do not exist in God. He is completely holy. To give us an example of this, think, imagine a, a big pitcher of water. The cleanest water out of the highest mountain creek around here. Crystal clear. Glass pitcher filled with it. You can see right through it. Nothing but pure water. This is like an example of God's holiness, completely pure, completely clean, no impurities. Now imagine if I could say, well, you know, that's great, but can't we just let it slide a little bit? I've got just this little teaspoon of malaria. Let me just, I'll just put it in there. No one will even know. You won't even taste it. You won't even see it. Just mix it up so it's all blended in. Now who wants to drink that water? I don't. (laughs) See, that's what happens with sin and with God. Because God is holy, He can have no sin in Him or next to Him. We don't want a God who will just let things slide. We want a God who holds up justice. A God who does what's right and holds up righteousness. We don't want the water to be tainted. Even a little bit, we don't want it. See, the trouble is we have these double standards. We think, well, maybe God can just let me in, but not everybody else. Maybe he can excuse all my stuff and just, but then be really hard on the other people who really upset me. This is double standard. That's because we don't realize what it means for God to be holy. See, the thing is, because God is holy, God himself had to save us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son became God with us to save us because we cannot 
because we cannot save ourselves. Regardless of what people have been misled to believe, maybe even some of us have heard, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn our way with God. We can receive His grace, but we can't earn our way. For this reason, Jesus had to come and He had to live among us. He had to teach us what it meant to follow God. Because even in the teachings, even in the Scriptures, the Pharisees, they'd gotten it wrong. They'd added all these other laws and they'd gotten it wrong. Jesus had to teach us what it meant that God is holy. But He also had to teach us what it meant that God is love. He came and lived God's love right in front of us. Lived in people's lives. Healed people. Spent time with people who no one else would even acknowledge. Jesus lived God's love in front of us so that we could see what God's love was like, what His grace was like. But He didn't stop there. He went all the way to the cross. He took this sacrifice, everything, all the way to the cross where He cleans us of our sin. Where God, or where Jesus satisfies God's righteousness, God's justice. You see, Jesus had to take our place because none of us could endure what we deserved for our sin. Jesus took our place And he's reconciled us to God by satisfying his righteousness. See, God is just and he is righteous. So he can't just say, well, I'm just going to let that slide. That doesn't really matter. See, God is holy. It absolutely matters. Every bit. That's why Christ had to come. So that we could be made right with God. That we could be reconciled. That he could pay the penalty that we deserved. Because someone had to pay it because God is just. So God paid it himself so that we wouldn't have to because we couldn't. And he reconciled us. Jesus made us right with God. He opened up the door again for us to be right with God. And then an amazing thing is that he rose again. He didn't just die on a cross. He rose again. He rose again proving that all of this is true. Proving that the cross... Everything that happened there was true and God meant it to happen. It wasn't that some religious, some religious fanatic failed at what he tried to do. Because he rose again, we realize that the cross was not some failure, but it was God's wonderful, his, his wonderful victory. Because Jesus is risen, we see that the cross is not the end. It's not that something went wrong. It's not that everything went wonderfully right. God's plan, the plan that he had from the beginning, had finally come true and he rescued us all. You see, going from Christ coming alive, you know, people don't have trouble believing that. If you ask anybody, they say, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm okay that Jesus lived. I mean, even most people would even agree that he was crucified. And if they weren't, you can show them the words of Roman historians and Jewish historians who lived around the same time who talked about Jesus even being crucified. But it's the resurrection that he rose again. That's the part that requires faith. That's the part where we rely on the apostles and the disciples. We rely on their testimony. Not just because they said so, but because they died to say so. They risked everything to say so. Along with all the other reasons, good reasons to believe in Christ. But still, it's a leap of faith. This is where faith begins in earnest. And that's why it's hard for some people. That's why it was hard this morning as we heard about Paul, is when he, told, when he spoke of the resurrection that people began to have trouble, that some of them disagreed with him. 
See, we need to help people realize the truth. We need to help them realize the truth about God's holiness. But it's not just something that God can just sort of wink his eye and overlook our sinfulness. We need to help them realize the truth about Jesus, that he came, that he died, and that he rose again, all for our benefit, to reconcile us to God. See, we do this because we want to see people, we want to see them turn around. We want to see them turn their back on the way they were living and turn their face toward God. To set down all the things that they thought were so important, the things that they thought would make them happy, to set those down and turn towards God, to receive His grace, God's unmerited, undeserved forgiveness, and His life, this life that He promises, life more full. See, Paul was talking with him in his speech. He said that God, he's no longer going to just overlook these things since Christ has come. God was unwilling to let people go on in their idolatries. Go on thinking that they were praying to God when they were just talking to a little wooden block. He was unwilling to let that go on anymore. When Jesus came, he changed everything because Jesus revealed who God is, the character of God, He revealed the love of God, the mercy of God, and the justice of God. He revealed how far God was going to go to rescue us. Paul said that he has already set a time when all people would be judged. They'd be judged in righteousness through his appointed one, through Jesus. God has already set the day, and we as a church, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We know how broken this world is, and we pray that God would come. You see, because we need this forgiveness. We need this forgiveness. And regardless of what our friends and our neighbors and people in our community say, they need it too. Even though they've been misled and have the wrong idea about their holiness, about their righteousness, they too need this forgiveness. That we come before God with humility not trying to barter with God or trying to trade with Him, but we stand before Him needing forgiveness. Setting down our pride. You know that part of us that says, I don't really need it. You know, God, I'm just here because I know it's the right thing. I don't actually need this forgiveness, that part of our pride, to set that down. To set down our shame. That part of us that says, I'll never deserve it. I won't even try because I know, how could God ever forgive me? Set down your shame as well. Come before God and ask for his forgiveness. See, this is the amazing thing as we read this morning, as we heard, that some people responded to it. Some began to mock Paul and they sneered at him. They heard about resurrection. They said, this is ridiculous. No one lives again. They've been misled. Some of them, they wanted to hear more. They were open to this. This is interesting this Jewish man who's learned to speak Greek. Let's hear some more of this God that he talks about, this Jesus, this Yesu. See, the trouble is sometimes people are open. They're genuinely looking for more information. They're genuinely moving towards Christ. But sometimes people, they're saying, I don't know yet, really because they just want to keep on living the way they always have. It's a stall tactic sometimes. I don't know if it all makes sense. I'm not sure what I believe yet, but I'm just going to keep on living the way I want to until then. 
Some people respond this way. Some people are genuinely seeking, though, and they really do need more. Jesus, this sounds true, what you've talked about, who you are, this sounds true to me. I pray that by your Spirit you'd reveal yourself to me. That's a faithful prayer, and I believe that's a prayer that God desires to answer. But also there were some who responded. Dionysus and Damaris, they responded to Paul. They said that they became became followers of, of Paul and they believed. They believed in this message that he told them. Some people will hear this news of Jesus and they will want to hear more. Some will refuse it out of hand, but some will believe and their lives will be transformed. They'll become new creations. Brand new people. Again and again each day, more and more like Christ. That's an amazing thing, and that's what we desire for people. See, we want people to turn their back on the way they were living and turn their face toward Christ. This is what we desire for everyone. Next Sunday, we're going to be meeting at the soccer field. This church is going to pick up and move down there so that we can invite our friends to come to something special. So we can invite them to come to breakfast so we can talk with them and encourage them so that we can meet outside and they can hear it, even though they can act like they're just walking by. They can still hear this amazing news of who Jesus is and what he's done. We're going to them because we desire to see people change because people in our community have been misled. They've been misled that that paradise is available to everyone so long as you're a good citizen. They've been misled. I believe, as we watched Paul this morning, that we've been called to go and to to help them understand, to help them realize who Jesus is, what the truth is, that he has come to save us, that we are deeply sinful people. But God has rescued us, and he continues to rescue us. I can't wait to see next week. I can't wait to see the people who come, the friends that we've been praying for for years, the people we've been talking with intentionally, trying to tell them about this Christ. I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to see the people who will just show up from our community, people we never expected. I can't wait to see what God will do. I can't wait to see people who will hear this gospel and they'll say, I would like that, please. Lord God, please forgive me. I want this new life. I can't wait to see this.